This is The Lit Fantastic, a podcast series about authors and their obsessions. I'm your host, Neil Aiken. In this episode, I speak with Noel Mariano, a storyteller, a community arts activist, and a poet. Noel has a unique obsession, sidekicks. More specifically, superhero sidekicks. What struck me as really interesting about this particular conversation is the way in which he looks at sidekicks as a vehicle or a means by which the superhero gets revealed. That in many ways, we find ourselves in the position of the sidekick. And that's how we come to understand what's really happening in the superhero. That's where we start off in this conversation. Noel telling us about his obsession with sidekicks and more specifically with Wolverine and Wolverine sidekicks. Something I've been really focused on are like are the idea of sidekicks. Um, specific examples uh, are Shadowcat and Jubilee from the X- from the Marvel X Men series, the companion from Doctor Who, and uh, Robin. Well, all Robins from the DC <laughs> Batman universe. The reason why I've been focused on them is like the idea of growth. It kind of goes back to looking at, at Greek mythology, where you know there were there were the demigods, the the not not as well known gods of the uh, the pantheon, but their stories were the ones that were way more fascinating to me because. When I look at sidekicks, they're the ones who don't get the limelight. And when it comes to when it comes to especially mainstream comics, Wolverine is boring, Batman is boring, Superman is boring. But you know, but the sidekicks and their relationships, where it shows growth and like character development, that's what I think is fascinating. So I, I kind of get where you're, you're coming from, right? It's like a lot of these big, big name or, or sort of the, the dominant, the, the major figure, whatever is the, the title character of a lot of these stories or franchises, ultimately feels very, I don't know, it's, it feels like it's kind of a monolith of sorts that, that, that they're, they're fairly static and they're only become more interesting because of the way in which a sidekick might trouble or interfere or interrogate some aspect of who they present themselves to be. Is that a yeah. fair, fair way of saying it? I, I guess for me, like one of the, and, and partly because I did research on this, this particular um, companionship, I guess you could say, Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson kind of represent mm-hmm. sort of a similar sort of dynamic where the humanity, or not even the humanity, partly it's the humanity of Holmes, is never really revealed unless Watson is present to call him out on the ways in which he he presents himself as machine. So, so Holmes is constantly projecting himself as machine-like in his interactions. Mm-hmm. And yet the reality is there are little moments that reveal him not to be as machine-like as he thinks he is. And wow. those moments aren't revealed without Watson there. Um, it has to be an interaction with Watson that kind of reveals those things. Because Watson will call him out. will say, no. <laughs> that's... And, yeah, and that's exactly how, you know, I'm looking at the relationship from the Marvel comics of Jubilee and Shadowcat and now X-23, because 
Wolverine, I mean, Wolverine is seen as the the ultimate, well, was seen as the ultimate killing machine in the X-Men universe until they finally, well, took him down a peg. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, his humanity was shown in his interactions with giving all three of those characters agency. I do think it's interesting that they were all they were three young women specifically that he had to uh, give agency to, but yeah, the human the humanity and there's there's a specific issue in um, the short run Jubilee series where Jubilee finds the men who killed her parents and put her in the foster care system, and Wolverine actually yelling at her to not kill them. This mm-hmm. is a guy who you know will stick his claws in anything. <laughs> and he's telling Jubilee to not kill someone. So it's the idea of humanity. Yeah, manifest it through the sidekicks. When the, side, when the sidekicks are actually spiraling as the, as the main character spirals, yeah, there's, there's, a switch, there's that strange switch in power, I think, mm. that, that occurs. That they become dependent on the sidekick in some way. I mean, that's definitely a dynamic yeah. that we see throughout Doctor Who. Yeah. That that frequently the doctor needs to have his companions stop him or question him or remind him of of things that that someone who is mortal would think about in ways that he doesn't always think about. And and I, I you know, it's it's for me one of the things that I find really fascinating about that series is the the ways in which um, you know, a being who is Pretty powerful and pretty, um, you know, immortal. I won't say completely, but fairly immortal and fairly powerful. Who has seen almost everything, becomes disconnected at times or jaded sometimes and has to be called back to, to the plight or the situation or the, or the concerns and emotions of individual human beings. And normally mm-hmm. his access to the rest of humanity often comes through um, companions. So was there, was there a triggering event? That was, was there a moment that was sort of your epiphany that this is what you wanted to work on, this is what you wanted to research? Well, for a while I'd been thinking about in, uh, immortality because that was actually a, a previous subject because I, I find that ghosts and, and immortality pop up a lot in my work. And just... Through that, I, I mean, like with the, with the independent film, The Man from Earth, where the premise of the movie is that God, God, not God, uh, Jesus, is, um, is actually just a, a Neolithic man who just lived for, uh, for all this time. And with Doctor Who, I just think about the companions, because from The Man from Earth, he he refuses to make connections with people because he says that he's going to leave them. The movie starts out with him like just up and resigning from, uh, from a university. Mm-hmm. And he refuses to be close to any of his colleagues because he's going to, he's going to be leaving after a set amount of years. Mm-hmm. The movie ends with him actually allowing the, I believe the art history professor to come with him when he leaves and he reveals that he is actually Christ. Well, he reveals it, but then he backtracks it, saying, "Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just working on this book." But le- but it's left with people wondering, "Is he telling the truth?" With that, with that, and with Doctor Who, I thought about who is it that these characters leave behind, 
and the legacy, and it's always the sidekick. I mean, all the Robins are royally, royally messed up because of their interactions with Batman. That doctor doesn't have very good track record either. Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah, the doctor, and even in the episode where all the companions and all the side characters, even even Mickey comes back to, to chime in, and you could see how flawed all their connections are with the doctor, but it's how the doctor lives. It's how the doctor lives through all of them. And it just made me think of why do we write? We, we write to share stories. And it's kind of like the role of the bard in most tabletop games. The bard is the, the, bard is the one to, to motivate, inspire, and share the story. And that is essentially the sidekick. The sidekick is there to motivate. And uh, so it's the sidekicks that are our modern bards. And that's how I got started. And I think it's I think it's fascinating because a lot of people kind of like the sidekicks a lot more than uh, the main characters. I think it's because there's something more accessible about sidekicks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know accessibility is kind of... Um, dirty word in, in some in some circles of writing, in some circles of academia. But it allows for entry into the material without getting overwhelmed. And it's just how does accessibility work when it comes to geek media. And I think that the sidekicks, because they are more flawed, that allows for more entry into the the material than than anything else. I would agree completely, and I, I think that's something that we definitely see. That that's a a pattern or an approach that that's used a lot when that the main character, the the hero character, is, for lack of a better word, inaccessible because they are too powerful, too godlike in their abilities. That we don't feel empathy towards them. You know, we feel awe, we feel some measure of respect, maybe even fear. But we have a hard time connecting to them to relate to them entirely. And it's with, you know, unless we have sort of a sidekick to, to act as sort of our human bridge, one whose imperfections and whose power level, you know, so to speak, is more like our own. That we find that connection, I think, through, through that character and then through that sidekick find a way to come to understand or appreciate the the hero or the main character um, in in ways that we might not be able to, to achieve otherwise. I, I think that's definitely, I think, you know, like I said, I think that's how Sherlock Holmes works with, with Watson, that Watson is the reason that Holmes, who is presented basically like a, you know, Doyle even refers to him as a calculating machine and a an automaton in a lot of his descriptions. And that's that's how Watson even, and, and Holmes himself sometimes addresses himself as sort of a, a logic machine. And ordinarily, we wouldn't be able to connect with a character that was pure machine, except for the fact that we have a sidekick that opens the door to another possibility, that there may be something still that we could connect to imperfection and 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 other flaws that we might not see until the sidekick is there and 
Yeah, and like one of one of the things that I find also like really interesting is the idea that that when the psychic is given agency, it's 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 supposed to be both surprising but expected. Earlier this year, there were tons of memes of from Mario from Mario Kart, where after he uses a shell attack on you, he kind of gives you the side eye and speeds off. And Luigi has always been, you know, the, the he's essentially Green Mario. He is he is the comic relief in the Super Princess Peach game. It's kind of a joke that Luigi gets uh, knocked off screen because everyone wants to run to Mario. But with that uh, meme that was circulating, Luigi was suddenly given more agency, was given more highlight and more attention. Way more attention than uh, than most people give Mario, and maybe it's because he is a psychic, because he is a couple, because he is the this screw up that people are more willing to give him that time and investment. Mm-hmm. Enjoy what you're hearing. Obsessed with what you're hearing. Subscribe to The Lit Fantastic on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a review. Tell us what you think. This interest, this obsession with sidekicks and how they make the hero or the the superhero or the, the godlike being more accessible... In what ways has this spilled over into your own writing, into your own projects, or or has it? Uh, well, it has a little bit. My initial uh, project during my MFA, and which I was continuing on uh, afterwards, was a series of interconnected poems that I was trying to turn into a novel in verse with the character of Hem- uh, of a girl named Hemingway. She moves back home after her brother passes away due to an uh, incident at summer camp, and she refers to herself as a psychic in her own life, how she is never really given acknowledgement or, like, or given any sort of attention except for, the, except for how she supplements and compliments her younger brother. Also, speaking of Luigi, uh, the chapbook I was working on, Dispatches from the Mushroom Kingdom, speaks about Luigi in the real world. He's kind of the, the he's kind of, again, kind of the sidekick, the lackey in the Mushroom Kingdom. But what happens in the real world when, you know, everything that's magical about the Mushroom Kingdom doesn't really occur? So I've been trying to imagine Luigi as a character and the very exhausted caretaker of his brother who who escapes to this magical world, leaving him behind. Hmm. So it, 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 pop, it pops up. Uh, it pops up because I feel like, as, as what was said earlier, main characters. There's no way to really get close to them, and if you get close to them, then they are flawed. There's that quote, and I know it's a cliche quote, but and I know I'm gonna bastardize it, but no, never meet your idols. The, the, the gold gilding will rub off on your fingers. Mm. Something like that. Where if we were to have a hero and have it have the hero be completely accessible, then it takes away some of the mystique. So that's why I think writing up through sidekicks, for me specifically, 
is more fun because it allows for way more play. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, big, uh, big, biggest collector of uh, sidekick, Harry Potter. Uh, like, Harry Potter is an ass. Um, <laughs> if he didn't have Hermione, Ron, Luna, um, Neville, Tonks, you know, any of those, he would be an ass. And the sidekicks are what give him humanity, but also the sidekicks keep him in check. And the sidekicks, they are more fun than Harry. And if we ask, you know, any Potterhead who the favorite character is, I don't think anyone would, re- would really say Harry, even though he is the main character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that, that joy, that fun, and that whimsy that comes through the sidekicks that just makes it uh, more appealing. Yeah, I, I, I do think that. I'm thinking of some of the other stories I've really enjoyed over the years, and Lord of the Rings is an interesting series for that because, I mean, in in some sense, everyone's a sidekick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There, it really is no real main character well, in Lord of the Rings. Well, the main character. This is the the interesting problem, Other right? It's like the the ring. The, the ring right? <laughs> There's the ring is is a character on on its own. You could argue it's Frodo, but Frodo really is always kind of following other people until the very end. And it's so, and he, and he is, he is also the very, very reluctant hero. He's extremely reluctant, and he's very flawed as we as we discover at the very end. In fact, the, probably one of the most admirable and, and near perfect characters in the in the story is probably Sam. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everyone loves Samwise. Everyone loves Sam because Sam is a remarkable character in how much he doesn't think of himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, the, the other characters that could be a main character, you know, you could argue that Aragorn, if you look at it from a historical, you know, a fantasy historical narrative, it's clear that this mm-hmm. is about the rise of Aragorn um, to take his true place as as sort of the king of this new age, right? Yeah. Right? And he is sort of the, in terms of who is traveling at the at the start, he is sort of the person that carries the most, you know, next to Gandalf, and again, another major figure. You know, the two of them really carry a lot of uh, sort of that, that mantle of sort of main characterness. But Gandalf always disappears, so... Really can't call him a main character, even yeah, though he takes up a lot of space. So it, it's it's kind of an interesting story because of it's kind of the opposite of of these these later sort of stories where you're constantly gaining you know sidekicks in in the Lord of the Rings they're losing them left and right. Yeah, actually, completely forgot about Lord of the Rings in discussing sidekicks. So with especially with with Lord of the Rings. Actually, even the landscape becomes more of a character than the characters do. Yes, yes, that's very true. That 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 the land and sort of the the burning eye of Sauron and sort of its connection to the ring. These these are characters that you know the eye is everywhere. You know the eye is inescapable. Yeah. Well, so it's it's kind of a weird story in that respect. I mean. The the sidekick motif is is old. I mean, like you said, it goes like in the Western tradition. You can trace it back to sort of the the ways in which demigods, um, you know, show up in literature and in mythology, and often have these interesting side roles and interesting stories. 
And within Eastern literature, you know, we have the story of the journey west, you know, in Chinese literature, mm-hmm. the Monkey King, and and sort of the quest to go to claim the, you know, the the Buddhist scriptures and bring them back to China. And it, it's a story of sidekicks as well. They're collecting sidekicks along the way. And then I'm even thinking of video games where the Soikoden series from Tsunami, mm-hmm. uh, which was based off of uh, the the legend of the 108 star, stars of destiny. The mm-hmm. entire game revolves around you collecting sidekicks. You'll get the best ending if you get all 108 characters. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's one of the it's one of the words where it's not a dirty word. Because it's just so prevalent in in our literature. Is there? Would you say there is a difference between sidekick and companion, or sidekick and ally? Actually, now that you think about, because a companion or an ally, I think puts them kind of on a on an almost even footing. Mm-hmm. But it seems to have to be earned. Like a sidekick can become a companion or an ally. Mm. When I think of when I think of sidekick, I still think that they are being mentored or they're still new. Mm-hmm. That it's still the start of the journey. So they're like a protege of some sort, or they're uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess we're we're winding down here in terms of time. What would you say is sort of the the takeaway from this? In terms of mainstream uh, Western literature, I'm thinking of like <laughs> one of the greater sidekicks of all, uh, Nick from The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Nick, Nick was Gatsby's sidekick, you know, best friend who, who was able to tell the story. We, are, we as readers, we as writers, we are the sidekick. You know, there's, al- there's always that quote of uh, do something worth, uh, do so- uh, write something worth reading or do something worth writing, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I think that, that we we as um, as writers and readers, we are the sidekicks because there's something like like much much more um, pertinent, much more powerful in our ima- imagined lives, in our uh, as opposed to what we report. So, if we were to take away anything, it's to know and understand that in this role as not being a hero, you will actually have the most power. Well, that's interesting. So, so I guess that's true. I mean, as a reader, we have the, the power to close the book and walk away from the story. <laughs> exactly. And, and as, as writers, I mean, there is something powerful about being both the sidekick, so to speak, for this character that we're kind of introducing to the world of the reader. And at the same time, we're a sidekick for the reader, I guess. We're at their side encouraging them to imagine to, to insert themselves into this world. And we're offering the ability for them to decide who they're going to like. We're not dictating, but our presence enables decisions to be made about how the story is to be read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so um, let's, let's finish up with a couple, one or two poems. What, what do you have that you'd like to share with us today? Well, let's see. Um... And the other reason why I chose sidekicks uh, was because um, in my 
in in my writing life, I kind of see myself as a as like a literary sidekick because there's so many writers I just look up to. So um, one of the writers who I look up to is Lin Lee, and the poem uh, that I'm gonna read um, was written in rejections, uh, and it's an epigram. It's one of my favorite lines. Um, and it's line, no easy thing to bear the weight of sweetness. And this one is called goodness. The peaches in the jar have brown bruised, and the skin have peeled back to expose flesh. This is the sugar reacting to air, this yellowed pulp turning gray. The sweetness eats it from the inside out. I roll my tongue over the hard candies of my teeth, pick at the cresses and spaces between them, trying to find my childhood of Hershey kisses and jawbreakers. Food is always the simplest reward to receive because you never had uh, enough to eat as a child. So offering what you lacked comes that nature. It's what you thought was right. McDonald's after school for straight A's, letting me dive through the plastic bag for loose fries. The bag running like your hand shaking through my hair. Now after all these years and your darkest appointments, I'm baking a pie that we both can't eat, carrying open peaches, covering them with sugar, before watching them brown in heat, encased in a shell that's as fragile as we are. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a delight to to talk to you or talk with you today to, to talk about sidekicks and to, to kind of get a different perspective about um, the roles of these characters and I guess what they what they mean to us as readers, as writers, as uh, as viewers of uh, and fans. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. That was Noel P. Mariano, poet, storyteller, and community arts activist. Noel is the author of two chapbooks of poetry, A Girl Named Hemingway, and Dispatches from the Mushroom Kingdom, which is forthcoming later this year from Hyacinth Girl Press. For more information about Noel, visit their website at noelpmariano.com. You've been listening to The Lit Fantastic, a production of KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and to our fantastic producer, Jenna Yokoyama. To learn more about our podcast and to check out other episodes, visit our Facebook page at The Lit Fantastic. Until next episode, I'm your host, Neil Aiken. Thanks for listening. <laughs>